Our Father and our God, we bow before you again with thankful hearts for the privilege that you have given us to come and worship you in this place today. We thank you, Father, that you give us the Lord's day, a day to rest in the Lord, a day to study your word, to learn more about this great salvation that you have bestowed upon us. A day where your gospel is proclaimed and calls many to come to Christ. We thank you, Father, that we can come to you knowing that if we are faithful to confess our sins, that you are faithful to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We pray that your spirit would work in our hearts so that we might know what we have done as far as sin is concerned. That we might see our transgressions, our iniquities that we might confess them to you because we know that Christ has died for them. We pray, Father, that you would give us eyes and ears this day so that we might see and hear your truth. We know that unless your Spirit gives us the knowledge, all is vain, so we cry out to you to send your Spirit to move in a powerful way so that we may understand your truths and that we might rightly abide them in our hearts. We pray, Father, that as we think upon this passage that we come to today, that we might understand the deeper meaning that is here of what you would have us to do as your children, that you desire our heart, that you desire all that we have, that we might surrender it all to you, that we might be totally committed to you in everything. We pray, Father, that you would bring sinners to Christ and sanctify saints. We pray, Father, for our sisters' churches throughout the world as they meet and worship this day. We pray that your blessings would be upon them, especially those, Father, who jeopardize their very life as they gather together to worship in the underground church. Father, we also pray that as this coronavirus moves throughout the countries, that we would be wise, that we would pray that you would bring an end to this, but we know that you have a purpose for all things. And Father, we pray that people would think about life and death as a result of this, and that through this that we might see an awakening take place there in China, as well as the rest of the world. We thank you for the gospel that is spreading through China. And we thank you for the underground church. And we pray, Father, that you would protect those believers from this. We pray that you would give our leaders wisdom and knowledge and how to handle this rightly, how we might be able to evaluate it accordingly and not panic, but, Father, know that you are in control of all things. We also pray, Father, for those that are unable to be with us today. We know that you know their reasons and needs, and we pray that you would meet them and that you would bring them back to us quickly. All of this we pray in the precious name of Christ and for his sake. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 12, and we come to the last four verses in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. So let us read these verses. Mark chapter 12, beginning with verse 41. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrums. So he called the disciples to him and said to them, Surely I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. John Broadus, who was a pastor, seminary professor at Southern Seminary, as well as a chaplain to Robert E. Lee. He baptized Lottie Moon. And he was the only Southern Baptist 
professor ever to be invited to lecture at the Ivy schools. J.D. Rockefeller, of course you know, one of the richest men, probably the richest man ever, other than Job, uh, invited him to come and be the pastor at the Baptist church he attended there in New York City, but he turned him down. This, of course, all taking place, if you don't know, in the 1800s. He wrote a very famous book on preaching that's still in print today and is still used, which totally changed the character of Southern Baptist preachers and how to preach. One Sunday, before he read this particular text, he walked out into the congregation as the offering was being taken up. And he began to look up and down each pew as the offering was being taken up. And of course, this made some feel very uncomfortable, some embarrassed, and even a few were annoyed at his action. After the offering was taken, by the way, I wouldn't dare do that. (laughs) But after the offering was taken, he returned to the pulpit and he said, I know... Some of you are questioning what I just did. I know that some of you are embarrassed and some of you are annoyed. But that was just me. Jesus walks up and down the aisles each Lord's day. Now... This is one of the reasons why his congregation loved him so much because he was a man that was able to take the truth of God's word and apply it directly. And the Spirit used him in many ways to bring great conviction into the heart of his hearers. Of course, Jesus not only sees what we place in the offering plate, But he also sees and knows our motive. John brought us, could not see their motive. Jesus sees our motive. He knows whether you give cheerfully or not. A mother going to church one Sunday with her little daughter gave her a dollar. Children, had your parents ever given you a dollar? and then a quarter, and said, place whatever you desire in the offering plate today. Well, after church, her mother, like a good mother, wanted to find out what her daughter did and asked her daughter, well, what did you place in the offering plate this morning? And the daughter said, well, mother, I was just about to place the dollar And then I remembered what the pastor said, that God loves a cheerful giver, and a quarter makes me much happier than a dollar. (laughs) Can we relate to that? Are you happier giving less than more unto the Lord's work? Now, we must realize that this passage is connected to the previous verses that we looked at last week. Now, I know some of you were not here last week, those that visit with us and those that were sick and out for other reasons. But we have to understand the setting of this passage. And the way we understand that is thinking back to last week's passage. We've talked about what Jesus was doing last week and the week before. He's there in the temple and he preached rather long sermon, or we could say he had a long Sunday school class. I don't know whichever one you want to use. And, and there in Matthew, we see how long it is in Matthew 23. I'm not going to ask how many of you went back and read that passage, as I mentioned last week. But we see that it was a lengthy teaching period on the scribes and the Pharisees and how they had behaved, and Jesus was speaking about their hypocrisy. So he leaves the court of the Gentile, which was a very large area. Literally thousands could go into that area. And he moves into the court of the women. 
which is a smaller area. Now, as Jesus had rebuked the scribes and the Pharisees in the court of the Gentile, we see now that he's making a connection with what they had done to the widows. Remember what he had said? He, he said, you have robbed the widows. You have done the wrong. You've taken their houses. You've taken their money. And now he comes to the court of the women. Now, of course, it's, women weren't the only ones that were allowed to go in there. Anyone could go in there, but it was called the court of the women. And this is where the money was given. So that he has a connection here with this widow, which is a prime example of what the scribes and Pharisees had done to someone. So make that connection. This widow, mentioned here in verse 42, is poor. Actually, one uh, scholar says that it literally says here, this widow, poor. In most of our translation, this poor widow, but it says widow and is emphasizing poor. Now, she may have taken, been taken advantage of by the scribes. We don't know for sure. We can't be dogmatic, but it appears that Jesus is making this comparison here. She literally had nothing left but two small coins as she entered the temple. So we see that Jesus seizes this opportunity to further instruct his disciples. It's his disciples that are around him now, not the large crowd. So they've gone with him and he has sat there at the treasury watching people put their money into the treasury. And he uses this opportunity to teach his disciples a very important principle. Now the principle that he is seeking to teach them really and truly isn't about money. It really and truly isn't about tithe. It's really, it isn't truly about how much they give. What his principle here is, the principle that Jesus is trying to drive home is much more profound. It's of utmost importance. What he is dealing with is man's heart. See, he is dealing with where you have, whether or not you have a relationship with God and it's right. Now again, this is Jesus' final teaching in public. All the other teaching that he will do will be in the upper room. So this is his final teaching here in public, and he's emphasizing this about this widow. Next, of course, we know that he will go in the upper room, and then he will go to the garden, and he will be arrested, and he would be led from trial to trial, and he will be sentenced to death, and then he will be placed on the cross, and then he will be buried, and then, of course, raised from the dead. But we have this poor widow here that comes into the temple, comes into the court of the women, who humbles herself before the presence of the Lord and presents her gift unto the Lord, even though she knows that this amount that she is giving is nothing compared to what everybody else is giving. So Jesus uses her to talk about commitment, about devotion, about surrendering all, and one showing true love from their heart to God. So let us look at these four verses and let us see what Jesus is saying to each of us about our commitment about our devotion, about our surrendering all and seeking to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now first, what I want you to see or hear doesn't always give us the full and true picture. What you see and hear doesn't always give us the true and full picture. As Jesus is here in the court of the women, which was an area of about 200 square feet, had, had three walls, and on those three walls were 13 receptacles shaped in the shape of a horn with an open mouth and smaller, and it went through the wall, and on the other side of the wall there was a treasury. So people would come to these uh, horns, and they would deposit their money. 
Uh, six of the horns were marked for free will offering. The others were marked for your uh, offering that you gave to get something in return like your doves or some other uh, animal to give to the Lord. Now, you have to remember there was no paper money at this time. There were no credit cards. There were no checks that you could put in. You had to put in coins. So when the coins were put in, it was quite noisy because of these brass horns, which had an open mouth, and then they shaped smaller, which fell into the treasury. So most had an idea what you dropped in. Especially if you're like Jesus and his disciples, there was places to sit, and he'd gone in there to sit. It's kind of like, I guess, going to the mall. You know, us men, we'll just say, we'll just go over here and sit while you ladies shop. Well, Jesus was over here sitting while watching the people put money into these devices. Now, we don't know how long it was before he said anything, but we, we only are told here in the Scripture that he's sitting and he's watching. And you have to remember, some of the people that came to the temple, they only came once a year. Think about the Ethiopian eunuch that we read about in Acts. He, he had made his trip to the temple. He was devoted. So some only made once a year. So they had a large sum to deposit into the treasury. And therefore, he's sitting there, Jesus is sitting there, and he's watching, and he's seeing that there's some that bring large bags of coin, and they begin to put them into the offering, the container there. And of course, it rattles and makes all kind of noise. And you also have these Pharisees and these scribes that do this. Now, we're told in Matthew 23, 5, they did it, why? To be seen, So maybe when they went up there to pour it in, they probably didn't just reach right there. They probably held it up way high and poured it in and let it make a lot of noise and rattling because they wanted people to know that they gave a lot of money. Now Mark tells us that Jesus was one of the spectators watching the rich put their money into the tomb. We don't know how many people did this before he speaks. But people around him, they might have been oohing and on. Oh, wow. Look what they're doing. I, I can remember years ago, uh, it was a part-time church. I was still going to school. And I can remember a man getting up in the announcement time. And he made the announcement, we're so glad that Brother So-and-so gave so much money this morning. And of course, it embarrassed Brother So-and-so. But you know, people, ooh, and oh, he gave this much, you know. Well, that's what was happening here. People were probably oohing and aahing over what people gave as they deposited the money into the tomb. Now, Jesus may have remained silent for quite some time. I don't know. We're we're not told. But we see that he eventually speaks. Now, of course, we know that Jesus knew all men just like he knows today what we're thinking, and what we're doing. As the song says, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches over me. In other words, nothing whatsoever is hidden from God. He sees all and he knows all, even though we may seek to dismiss that from our mind. We may try to deny God. As, as Romans 1 tells us, we, we suppress the truth. We suppress that there is even a God. Uh, and the word that is used there is like a spring pushing up, and we're pushing down on that spring with all of our strength trying to deny, saying, no, 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 there's no God. And God is shouting at us with a megaphone, yes, I'm here, and you know it, and you can't do anything about it. Well, this little widow lady, standing in line, waiting her time, it was obvious that she was poor by what she was wearing, which is, again, another contrast. Remember last week talking about the Pharisees and the scribes, what they wore? Beautiful robes with all their little tassels and all that. So we have another contrast here. And as she waits her turn, Jesus knows her condition. I mean, she had no pension. She had probably worked from dawn to dust, had earned enough to provide the bread for her family. 
possibly children and possibly her parents lived in the same home. We don't know. There were probably a host of sensible reasons for her not to give these two coins that she had to the Lord. I mean, who would blame her? She's poor. Who would blame her? Surely not the Lord. The Lord knew her need. The Lord knew that she needed food for strength. The Lord knew that others depended upon her. And Jesus tells us that these two corns was all that she had. I mean, there was no public assistance in that day. All she could do, other than work all day, is sit on the side of the road and beg. Now, would her two coins be missed? Were they really needed? I mean, why give both coins? Why not just give one to the Lord and, and keep the other? Why, why put both of them into the offering? Why put herself in this predicament? Here she is, poor, needing food, needing bread to survive. Why not simply keep both coins and go buy her something for herself and her family? I mean, I've heard some say, I can't afford to tithe. I can't afford to give to the church. My little bit won't be missed anyway, so why do I need to give to the Lord? I mean, that could have been her attitude. Surely the Lord would vindicate her decision in keeping at least one of the coins. What this widow lady does and what Jesus says destroys those flimsy excuses. This poor widow wasn't aware that she was even being watched by anyone else. But yet she was being watched by the most important person in the universe as she approached that treasury. And Jesus saw that she only had two coins, the the smallest coin in circulation at that day. Children, what's the smallest coin in circulation in our day? A penny, right? Well, this was the smallest coin in circulation of that day. It was one-sixty-fourth of a day's wages. A denarius was given for a day's wages. So in other words, let's say $64. So it would have been $1 to $64, which would have been earned in a day. So as she dropped them into the tubing, it wouldn't have made much of a sound at all. It was such a light, flimsy coin. She could have put one in and, like I said, used the others to buy food. She wasn't putting in two coins. She was putting in everything she had. All that she had to live on, she gave it to God. Kind of like the story I heard about the pig and the chicken wanting to go in business together. The pig asked the chicken, let's go into business together. I'll donate the eggs, you donate the bacon. The pig said, wait a minute now. (laughs) I have to give my all. You're just giving a small contribution. Well, this woman was giving her all. She was trusting the Lord with her future. She believed that God would supply all of her needs if she gave God all that she had. This widow gave everything to God because she loved God. She was devoted to Him. Her heart was right with God. She didn't give expecting anything in return as far as money. She didn't think to myself, well, if I give all that I have, God's going to give me 200 coins. That's what Joel Osteen would say. You know, give to me, and Lord's going to bless you. 
Lord will give you so much more. And then he would say, your best days are now. Well, she gave, but not expecting any money in return. She gave simply out of obedience and devotion to God. Second, what we don't see, Jesus sees. Jesus said that she had put more money in the treasury than all others put together. She put more in than all of them combined. What a contrast. Two mites compared to all that everyone had given. And you have that contrast of rich and poor with the Pharisees again and the scribes. The contrast of famous and insignificant. No one knew who this woman was. No one had noticed her. The contrast of this fancy robe compared to her tattered covering. The seat of honor versus the back seat for the poor. A large sum versus what had been stolen from the widows left with only two mites. The final contrast would be the most significant. The Pharisees and the scribes would experience greater, as we saw last week, greater condemnation. And she would experience eternal blessedness from the Lord. How do you measure real sacrifice? By what you give? No. By what you keep. Do you understand that? How do you measure real sacrifice? Not by what you give. It's what you keep. Now what was the fundamental difference between these men, these scribes, and this widow woman? Well... As you look at what is said here in these verses, we notice that it wasn't the gender or the income or the fame. The difference was their heart, right? Jesus exposed the Pharisees and the scribes' heart. What's going on in our heart? What makes you and me different from the people of the world? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 that I can give all of my possessions, surrender my body to be burned if I don't have love, I gain what? Nothing. So I can give everything I got away I can even die for the cause, and we see the Muslims do that. They die for the cause, but what does it amount to? Nothing. Why? Because their heart was not right. We sing, all to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. That was her mindset. All that I have is yours, God. And we need loving sacrifice. We need to give as God has instructed us to. I mean, her positive spiritual quality as this widow, she saw it was a privilege to give to God. I mean, what an honor that He might use my gift as little as it is to build His kingdom. You know, giving to the Lord is like our little children at Christmas time. Our little children at Christmas time, they don't have money, so what do we do? 
We give them money and they turn around and give back to us what they buy with the money we gave them. So that's the way it is. We give to the Lord what He's already given to us. Do you understand that all we have is God's anyway? You only have it because He allowed you to receive it. He gave you the ability to make money. And this widow understood this. She knew that all she had was God's anyway. These two coins, my last two coins, they're God's anyway, so I'm going to give them back to God. She probably gave her insignificant offering to God. She never dreamed that 2,000 years later, preachers would be preaching about her and using her example of commitment and devotion and surrendering to all to encourage Christians to follow her example. She would be remembered when hundreds and thousands of millionaires would be totally forgotten. Jeff Thomas, matter of fact, he will be our speaker next year at our Deep South Founders Conference. Look forward to it. Pray that Lord continues to give him good health. He's in his 80s. He shared this story about a missionary who had two sons. And one of the missionaries went to West Africa, or one of the sons went to West Africa to be a missionary. She was a widow lady. All she had left was these two sons. Not long after he was in West Africa teaching people, evangelizing them, he contacted a serious illness and he died. His brother later came to his mother and said, Mother, I too feel led to go and take my brother's place there in West Africa. And she encouraged him and said farewell. And he went off. And not long after that, he too contacted an illness and died. And he was buried next to his brother. When the news reached her that she had lost her second son as well, she, of course, was grieved and wept And church members came and sought to comfort her. And she said, do you understand my tears? I'm not weeping because I have lost two of my sons to the commitment of God there in West Africa. But it's because I don't have a third son to send. Wow. That's powerful, folks. How many of us would say something like that? What commitment to give your children unto the Lord? Do you see what Jesus is saying to you and me? You don't need religion. You need a new heart. And this passage isn't saying that God needs our money. No. God wants us. He wants us to be committed to Him. He wants us to serve Him. He wants us to love Him. Now giving does reveal to God something about us. Listen to what Sinclair Ferguson says. God doesn't need your money. He requires no benefactor to help Him establish His kingdom. Nothing you can do or give will add to His riches. He owns the entire universe. And He can employ anyone in it for whatever reason His holy purpose is. Furthermore, He owns your money too. He is able to give it to you and withdraw it from you at a moment's notice. You are simply the steward of it. 
Anything you give to Him, He has already first given to you, like a father giving pocket change to his children to help them buy him a birthday present. No money, no tithe, no talent is too insignificant for you to bring to God. Give it to God and He is able to use it for His glory in one way or another. Jeff Thomas goes on and tells this story. He said, There was once a woman who loved her great king as did all the people of the kingdom. They decided that they would present him a present or each present him a great gift to show their affection to him. All this women, this woman had to give was two mites. She felt so ashamed as she lined up with all the other subjects and put it in the king's hand. When it was her turn, she could not even look up to the king's face. She looked down to the ground and pressed the two mites into his hand and moved on. Then the king called after her. Was it you who gave me this? He asked. There in his hand were two pieces of gold covered with costly diamonds and faultless pearls. She stared at them. Oh no! She said, I didn't give those. Look at them again, he said. Take them into your hands. She picked them up off his hand. And when she did, all she was holding was two mites. But when she put them back into the king's hand, they became two pieces of gold covered with jewels. Thank you, said the king, for the beautiful gift. I will treasure it forever. And he took the two pieces of gold and hung a chain around his neck with them on it. And they were next to his heart. He always thinks of her when he sees them. And when any other poor man or woman, boy or girl, is afraid to bring a little gift to the king because it's so small, he points to what he wears around his neck and says... These two glorious jewels were once two mites, and they please me as much as any gift I've ever received. For to me, a person is accepted according to what he has, and not according to what he doesn't have. Thirdly, Jesus explains the divine addition works on different principles for man in doing to teach several important lessons about Christian giving. First, as I've already mentioned, God doesn't need your money. He gives And he's able to withdraw. He's able to withdraw it in a moment. There's a lot that have been quite concerned over the last week because there's been a lot of withdrawal from the stock market. Job one day was the wealthiest man on earth. And then the next day, it was all gone. Then later, it was given back to him even with a surplus. It is easy for us to take for granted all that we are blessed with. And as a result of that, we often become wasteful and foolish with what God has loaned us. Thursday night, Mary Margaret had invited... Luanda and I to come to a function where 
I was to do the invocation. And so we went and got to hear the speaker, which was enjoyable to hear. It was interesting. Before I got up to say the prayer of the invocation, I'd already decided what I was going to pray since I knew it was a financial uh, program. And I'm about to go up to pray, and he says, Pastor Wynn's coming to pray a short in, um, short prayer invocation. Well, Mary Margaret didn't tell me to make it short. But she didn't know either. He didn't tell her that. Now, I'm glad, because I'd have felt guilty if I'd been instructed to pray short, and I didn't. So I wasn't instructed, so I made my own prayer and prayed it, and in that prayer, I encouraged those that were there to not be lovers of money, as the Scripture tells us. And when we do everything, whether to eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. And another other things that I said, but in that time, Thursday night, uh, our speaker shared about his sister's in-laws, whose her, his sister's father-in-law was a dentist, and he had done quite well. They lived in California in a $2.5 million home, and he had over $5 million in savings. I mean, I think I'd be satisfied with that, wouldn't you? But you know what? doesn't matter how much you make. If your heart's not right, you're never satisfied. So a friend of his encouraged him to invest. So he decided to take all that he had, put up his house and then borrow against his house and put all of it into this investment and lost all of it. And now he and his wife live in the basement of this man's sister. And he has beginning stages of Parkinson. So we can't work anymore. Why? Greed. See, never enough. I mean, he could have lived a great life on just the interest he would make off of that money. But his heart was not right. I know that I'm known as a very frugal person. I like that word, frugal. Sounds better. I come and buy it honestly. My grandparents were, especially my grandmother that lived next door. My dad was. Of course, being a pastor of small churches all my life and having four children, I had to force myself also to be frugal. And also I believe that the scriptures teach that we are to be frugal with God's money, to be wise with it. I wish I could stand here and say I've never made a bad investment, but I I made an investment into a, quote, Christian investment one time. Be weary of Christian investments, I tell you. Most of them are not Christian I believe that we as Christians should seek to live on as little as possible and give as much as possible. We cannot take it with us. But we can send it ahead. We can store up treasures in heaven, as Jesus tells us. As Billy Graham says, you never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. So you can't take it with you, but send it ahead. Now the question we must ask ourselves is, whose money is it? We've addressed that. It's sad that some people are like Jimmy Stewart who played, I think it was Charlie Charlie White, I'm not sure if that's his last name, in Shenandoah. Uh, I don't know how many of y'all, this younger generation, I don't know how many of y'all have watched Shenandoah, and I found out that Richard Wakefield has not watched it. Richard, you got your name in the sermon, so you can go back and listen to it. And I encouraged him to watch it. But in that particular movie, it has a lot of good quotes. 
Now, this quote is not a good quote in one sense, but it, it shows what a lot of people think but do not say. As Charlie's sitting at the table with his family for supper time, a full table, I guess there's about 12 people at the table, all his sons and daughters and their spouses and children. This is what he prays. Lord, we cleared this land, we plowed it, we sowed it, we harvested it, we cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here, it wouldn't be eaten if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We work dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel. But we thank you just the same anyway, Lord, for the food that we're about to eat. Amen. That's the mindset of most people, right? They think they've done everything to have what they have, and I'm not going to give God any glory whatsoever because I've done it all. Now, we must give an account to God one day, come judgment day. Jesus teaches that often. He teaches it in the parable of the talents. And He says there, to whom much is given, much is required. Much is required. I added that in my prayer the other night too. Did you catch it when I prayed it? There you go. Good. I'm glad you listened to the prayer. I mean, we were standing there before, how many did we end up having? 200? There's a lot. 400? Oh, I didn't realize it's that much. I told him at the very beginning, I said, folks, for a Baptist preacher to come up here and stand before this many people and not be able to preach is like saying a Manning cannot throw a football. In other words, I'd love to have preached, so I just preached in my prayer to him. But anyway, I mean, we were standing amongst some of the most wealthy people in the metro area. And outside, there, the lady sat beside me was all the way from Boston. So these were wealthy people. And I, like I said, they needed to hear the truth of what God says about these things. Now, we see here, let me go back to my iPad here. It went dead on me. That second, whatever money is given to Grace Baptist Church must be viewed as committed unto the Lord, committed unto His kingdom. Now, I'm more conservative with God's money than I am with my money. Now, you know how conservative I am with mine. I'm more conservative with God's money because we have to give an account. I will have to give an account as the overseer. Pastor Tiago and I will have to give an account as the overseer of God's money, how it's used here in this church. Now, it amazes me how wasteful people can be today. I mean, I've heard it said that America's garbage could feed the world. And I believe that. I mean, I've sat in our own fellowship hall and seen so much food thrown away that it's embarrassing. I must be honest. I mean, I wasn't raised like that. I don't know if I was made to clean my plate, but I cleaned my plate. I remember in school, if you clean your plate, you go back for seconds. So I'd clean my plate so I could go back for seconds. And we need to make sure that we teach our children that. That they are not to be wasteful. That eyes can be bigger than the stomach. And parents are wise. And parents know if they're getting too much to eat, that they're not going to be able to eat all that. And it's going to be thrown away. We need to, we need to be more aware. We must be wise. We must be wise with our benevolence. It's sad today that there are those who even seek to take advantage of church. I mean, I don't think a week goes by to where we do not get a phone call from someone needing financial help. And when they call, I instruct them, well, if you want financial help, first of all, you have to come and you worship with us. And after you worship with us, then our deacons will be glad to meet with you and they want to talk to you about things. Guess what that has done? Tremendously reduced the people that come for benevolence help. I had one this past week. And she said, oh, okay. <laughs> that was it. She's not here this morning. She didn't want money very bad, does she? 
But anyway, we, we are to be wise and good stewards of God's money. We must be wise in our giving. I mean, you know and I know that there are many televangelists who are disgraced. I read about years ago, one particular one on TV, he would say, you know, send your money in and send your prayer request and I will pray over your prayer request that God will hear your prayers and answer your prayer. And they said he would receive, somebody put a camera in and he would receive them and he would quickly take the money out and chunk the prayer request and envelope into the trash. That's sad. They have to give an account for that one day. I don't agree with ministries that pay their leaders these enormous salaries either. That's wrong. It's sad. God's money is not to be used that way. I remember years ago, I don't know whether I heard John MacArthur say this or I read that John MacArthur said, he said his deacons kept wanting him to take a raise in his salary and he kept turning it. No, I don't want a raise. I don't need a raise. I'm well taken care of. I'm able to get money off my books, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they said, no, but pastor, we want you to just see and take this raise so that we can see how you use it for God's kingdom because we know that that's how you'll use it. Thirdly, God doesn't want our money. He wants our heart. I've already mentioned this. If He has our heart, everything else will fall into place. Our giving will be biblical if He has our heart. We will seek to please the Lord with what we tithe and give to Him if He has our heart. Why was Abel's offering accepted and Cain's rejected? our scripture reading this morning. Because Abel's heart was right. He brought the first fruits to God. He brought it out of a commitment and love for God. Cain did not. We know his heart was not right. Because he goes and he kills his brother. Abel was an indictment upon his life. It convicted him. So therefore he had to get rid of that which was bringing conviction on him. And he kills his own brother. Now again, there's nothing wrong with the rich putting in large sums. It's good for them to, because they make a lot, they ought to put in a large sum. The problem was that many of them did it to be seen. They were acting holier than thou. R.C. Sproul says, none of us fully lives up to God's standard. Anybody in here want to say they live up to God's standard? I'm not putting my hand up. I'm just raising to ask you to put yours if you feel like you live up to God's standard. But we are not hypocrites for trying. In other words, we are to try to live up to God's standard, right? We are hypocrites only when we pretend to be holier than thou. See, that's what the scribes were doing. They were pretending to be holier than everyone else. And Jesus exposed them, as we saw last week, and showed everyone how unholy they were. He continues, When we present ourselves as humble, when in fact our hearts are very proud and conceited. Let us repent daily for any true hypocrisy that we might find in our hearts. And may we ask God to give us the grace to be honest about ourselves with others. That's not easy, is it? I mean, it's, it's difficult to even be honest with our closest connections. It's hard for us to be honest with our spouse. It's hard for us to be honest with our children. It's hard for us to be honest with those that we work with. And we need to pray that God would enable us, give us the grace to be honest with others. Again, the rich were putting in large sums, but it was out of their surplus. In other words, it wasn't costing them anything. It wasn't a sacrifice. It's like I mentioned earlier uh, John Rockefeller. 
who was the richest man, and, and May compared it. I mean, he, he was three times richer than Bill Gates, if you put it on the same money and the, how much money has uh, increased as far as its value. That's, that's rich. Well, and he did. He gave a lot. He gave $500 million. But think about what he made. I mean, if a millionaire put in $1,000 a week into our offering plate, no one does that as far as I know, and he's a millionaire, in other words, let's say he makes a million dollars a year, that'd only be 5%. I mean, he hadn't even come up to the mark of tithing yet, much less giving. Giving's above and beyond the tithe. I remember... When we were raising money to go our first time to Zambia, we all were sending out letters to different people and asking them to help us financially because it was costing a great sum to go. And so I sent out my letters. And a lot of them responded. But I thought it was pretty interesting. The person that I knew, out of the ones that I sent, which was the most wealthiest of all, gave the smallest amount. Again, it goes back to what I said earlier about greed. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moss nor rust can destroy or where thieves can break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How in the world can a Christian give less than what Jesus would have us do in his kingdom work. I mean, we know Jesus gave his all. He died for our sins. So how in the world could a Christian dare shortchange his Lord? As I was telling the men at the men's rally, one thing we as pastors have to do is we have to wrestle with the text all week long before we preach the sermon. In other words, what I was saying there is we're convicted all week long. You only get one hour of conviction. (laughs) And as I wrestled with this passage, I was convicted. And I said, Lord, what more would you have me to do? And like I said, we're not only talking about money. We're talking about sacrifice of our life. I, I addressed it and you'll get the newsletter. And dealt with it, the sacrifices that we have to make. To even be a church, the sacrifices that we will have to make to reach people with the gospel. It will mean that we will have to sacrifice our time, our finances. We will have to put into practice our gifts, our spiritual gifts that God has given us. We will have to do more than we've done in the past so that God might be glorified and honored and that He might be pleased to add unto His church. It means that there will be times that we will have to go out on Sunday afternoon and knock on doors when we'd rather be taking a nap. Are we willing to make that sacrifice? When you have a larger facility, there will be things that will come up to where we will have to give extra to take care of some of the needs that we have. I mean, some of us have the mindset, well, we have the money that we've saved for our building program, so therefore we can give less now. Again, where's your heart? Where's your mind Is it focused upon Christ and what Christ would have us do in His kingdom? Our our desire should be that we want to put as much in so that we might do more. 
I've shared with you before what the future holds, the things that we, we need to look forward to. As Pastor Tiago goes back to Portugal and starts a seminary and we want to help fund that seminary, we're going to need more finances. If the Lord continues to lead Hal and Mary Margaret to, to Portugal with them or wherever he, he leads them, they're going to need finances and we're their church and we must step up and help them financially when they go. The Lord's work takes money. Prophet Malachi recorded these words from God. It's God speaking. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you in tithes and offerings? You are cursed with a curse. For you've robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, and there may be food in my house. And try me now, says the Lord of hosts if I will not pour out to you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings that there will not be room enough to receive it. Now I know there's those that say, well, tithing's Old Testament. I like what John MacArthur, he doesn't believe in tithing. But at least John MacArthur says, if tithing was the standard in the old, then we must have a greater standing in the new. If 10%, of course it wasn't simply 10% because there were other offerings that were given, but that was the basic 10%. Other He said, then we must give much more than what was the basic. Now, I like that. I don't have any problem with that, even though I do believe tithing is a biblical principle for the new, but that's the starting point. And again, the whole issue is our heart, and that's what Jesus is dealing with here. Where is our heart? So I ask you in closing this morning, where is your heart? Do you have a heart that cheerfully gives not just your money? Again, the focus is not money. The focus is giving ourselves unto the Lord. Giving all that we are unto the Lord and saying, Lord, use me in whatever way you would choose. We continue to pray that God would be pleased to raise up people out of this congregation in the future, that He would raise up children out of this congregation to be missionaries, to be pastors, to be in the ministry, that they would give their all to the Lord, just like these two boys that went to Africa and gave their lives. How we must pray that God would be pleased to do that in our church, that we would be an instrument that would send forth men and women all over the world to preach the gospel. What greater testimony of God's church than that? How we must pray that God would cause us to have that kind of heart, a heart that is willing to give for the glory of God, that we would be like this widow who gave all that she had. May we Give to Christ who gave all for us, all to Him. Let us pray. Father, we pray that your spirit would search each of our hearts and reveal our hearts so that we might confess, confess to thee who we are and our need of Christ to rule over us, our need for him to guide and direct us so that we might bring honor and glory to your name. We pray, Father, for those today who have never come 
to the point of surrendering their all to Christ, who have never confessed in a saving way and repented of their sins and trusted in Christ and Christ alone, how we pray that today would be that day. How we pray that we as Christians, Father, would be committed committed to sacrifice our all, devoted totally to you, knowing that you are Lord over all that we have and that we would have a cheerful, willing heart in giving all that we have. Work in our lives to bring honor and glory to your name. And this we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.